Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Talking points on the resignation prepared by the White House Counsel's Office and distributed to the White House Communications Team stated that McGahn had advised the President that Flynn was unlikely to be prosecuted, and the President had determined that the issue with Flynn was one of trust. Spicer told the press the next day that Flynn was forced to resign not based on a legal issue, but based on a trust issue, where a level of trust between the President and General Flynn had eroded to the point where the President felt he had to make a change. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, the world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, they will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently for You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Ask not yes, we can. what your country can do for you. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you be dead yet and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. He wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Apple Podcasts, the Stitcher Smart Radio, Potable, and more. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Public Access Public America. Access. History in the making. Making history in the making. In the making.
President discusses Flynn with FBI Director Comey. On February 14, 2017, the day after Flynn's resignation, the president had lunch at the White House with New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. According to Christie, at one point during the lunch the president said, now that we fired Flynn, the Russia thing is over. Christie laughed and responded, no way. He said, this Russia thing is far from over and we'll be here on Valentine's Day 2018 talking about this. The president said, what do you mean? Flynn met with the Russians. That was the problem. I fired Flynn. It's over. Christie recalled responding that based on his experience both as a prosecutor and as someone who had been investigated, firing Flynn would not end the investigation. Christie said there was no way to make an investigation shorter, but a lot of ways to make it longer. The president asked Christie what he meant, and Christie told the president not to talk about the investigation even if he was frustrated at times. Christie also told the president that he would never be able to get rid of Flynn, like gum on the bottom of your shoe. Towards the end of the lunch, the president brought up Cummy and asked if Christie was still friendly with him. Christie said he was. The president told Christie to call Comey and tell him that the president really likes him. Tell him he's part of the team. At the end of the lunch, the president repeated his request that Christie reach out to Comey. Christie had no intention of complying with the president's request that he contact Comey. He thought the president's request was nonsensical and Christie did not want to put Comey in the position of having to receive such a phone call. Christie thought it would have been uncomfortable to pass on that message. At 4 p.m. that afternoon, the president met with Comey, Sessions, and other officials for a homeland security briefing. At the end of the briefing, the president dismissed the other attendees and stated that he wanted to speak to Comey alone. Sessions and senior advisor to the president Jared Kushner remained in the Oval Office as other participants left, but the president excused them, repeating that he wanted to speak only with Comey. At some point after others had left the Oval Office, Priebus opened the door, but the president sent him away. The president attempts to have K.T. McFarlane create a witness statement denying that he directed Flynn's discussions with Kislaki. On February 22, 2017, Priebus and Bannon told McFarlane that the president wanted her to resign as Deputy National Security Advisor, but they suggested to her that the administration could make her the ambassador to Singapore. The next day, the president asked Priebus to have McFarland draft an internal email that would confirm that the president did not direct Flynn to call the Russian ambassador about sanctions. Priebus said he told the president he would only direct McFarland to write such a letter if she were comfortable with it. Priebus called McFarland into his office to convey the president's request that she memorialize in writing that the president did not direct Flynn to talk to Kislak. McFarland told Priebus she did not know whether the president had directed Flynn to talk to Kislak about sanctions, and she declined to say yes or no to the request. Priebus understood that McFarland was not comfortable with the president's request, and he recommended that she talk to attorneys in the White House counsel's office. McFarland then reached out to Eisenberg. McFarland told him that she had been fired from her job as Deputy National Security Advisor and offered the ambassadorship in Singapore but that the President and Priebus wanted a letter from her denying that the President directed Flynn to discuss sanctions with Kislak. Eisenberg advised McFarland not to write the requested letter. As documented by McFarland in a contemporaneous memorandum for the record that she wrote because she was concerned by the president's request, Eisenberg, thought the requested email and letter would be a bad idea from my side because the email would be awkward. 
Why would T be emailing Priebus to make a statement for the record? But it would also be a bad idea for the president because it looked as if my ambassadorial appointment was in some way a quid pro quo. Later that evening, Priebus stopped by McFarlane's office and told her not to write the email and to forget he even mentioned it. Around the same time, the president asked Priebus to reach out to Flynn and let him know that the president still cared about him. Priebus called Flynn and said that he was checking in and that Flynn was an American hero. Priebus thought the president did not want Flynn saying bad things about him. On March 31, 2017, following news that Flynn had offered to testify before the FBI and congressional investigators in exchange for immunity, the president tweeted, Mike Flynn should ask for immunity in that this is a witch hunt, excuse for big election loss, by media and Dems, of historic proportion. In late March or early April, the president asked McFarlane to pass a message to Flynn telling him the president felt bad for him and that he should stay strong. Analysis in analyzing the president's conduct related to the Flynn investigation, the following evidence is relevant to the elements of obstruction of justice. A. Obstructive Act. According to Comey's account OFHIS February 14, 2017 meeting in the Oval Office, the president told him, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go, e. I hope you can let this go. In analyzing whether these statements constitute an obstructive act, a threshold question is whether Comey's account of the interaction is accurate, and, if so, whether the president's statements had the tendency to impede the administration of justice by shutting down an inquiry that could result in a grand jury investigation and a criminal charge. After Comey's account of the president's request to let Flynn go became public, the president publicly disputed several aspects of the story. The president told the New York Times that he did not shoo other people out of the room when he talked to Comey and that he did not remember having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Comey. The president also publicly denied that he had asked Comey to let Flynn go or otherwise communicated that Comey should drop the investigation of Flynn. In private, the president denied aspects of Comey's account to White House advisors, but acknowledged to Priebus that he brought Flynn up in the meeting ITH Comey and stated that Flynn was a good guy. Despite those denials, substantial evidence corroborates Comey's account. First, Comey wrote a detailed memorandum of his encounter with the president on the same day it occurred. Comey also told senior FBI officials about the meeting with the president that day, and their recollections of what Comey told them at the time are consistent with Comey's account. Second, Comey provided testimony about the president's request that he let Flynn go under oath in congressional proceedings and in interviews with federal investigators subject to penalties for lying under 18 U.S.C.L. This free audio is provided by MullerReportAudioBook.com. Comey's recollections of the encounter have remained consistent over time. Third, the objective, corroborated circumstances of how the one-on-one -on -one meeting came to occur support Comey's description of the event. Comey recalled that the president cleared the room to speak with Comey alone after a Homeland Security briefing in the Oval Office, that Kushner and Sessions lingered and had to be shooed out by the president, and that Priebus briefly opened the door during the meeting, prompting the president to wave him away. While the president has publicly denied those details, other administration officials who were present have confirmed Comey's account of how he ended up in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the president. And the president acknowledged to Priebus and McGahn that he in fact spoke to Comey about Flynn in their one-on-one -on -one meeting. 
Fourth, the president's decision to clear the room and, in particular, to exclude the attorney general from the meeting signals that the president wanted to be alone with Comey, which is consistent with the delivery of a message of the type that Comey recalls, rather than a more innocuous conversation that could have occurred in the presence of the attorney general. Finally, Comey's reaction to the president's statements is consistent with the president having asked him to let Flynn go. Comey met with the FBI leadership team, which agreed to keep the president's statements closely held and not to inform the team working on the Flynn investigation so that they would not be influenced by the president's request. Comey also promptly met with the attorney general to ask him not to be left alone with the president again, an account verified by Sessions, FBI Chief of Staff James Rabitsky, and Jody Hunt, who was then the attorney general's chief of staff. A second question is whether the president's statements, which were not phrased as a direct order to Comey, could impede or interfere with the FBI's investigation of Flynn. While the president said he hoped Comey could let Flynn go, rather than affirmatively directing him to do so, the circumstances of the conversation showed that the president was asking Comey to close the FBI's investigation into Flynn. First, the president arranged the meeting with Comey so that they would be alone and purposely excluded the attorney general, which suggests that the president meant to make a request to Comey that he did not want anyone else to hear. Second, because the president is the head of the executive branch, when he says that he hopes a subordinate will do something, it is reasonable to expect that the subordinate will do what the president wants. Indeed, the president repeated a version of let this go three times, and Comey testified that he understood the president's statements as a directive, which is corroborated by the way Comey reacted at the time. B. Nexus to a proceeding. To establish a nexus to a proceeding, it would be necessary to show that the president could reasonably foresee and actually contemplated that the investigation of Flynn was likely to lead to a grand jury investigation or prosecution. At the time of the president's one-on-one -on -one meeting with Comey, no grand jury subpoenas had been issued as part of the FBI's investigation into Florida NN. But Flynn's lies to the FBI violated federal criminal law and resulted in Flynn's prosecution for violating 18 U.S.C. 100I. By the time the president spoke to Comey about Flynn, DOJ officials had informed McGahn, who informed the president, that Flynn's statements to senior White House officials about his contacts with Kislak were not true and that Flynn had told the same version of events to the FBI. McGahn also informed the president that Flynn's conduct could violate 18 U.S.C. L001. After the vice president and senior White House officials reviewed the underlying information about Flynn's calls on February 10, 2017, they believed that Flynn could not have forgotten his conversations with Kislak and concluded that he had been lying. In addition, the president's instruction to the FBI director to let Flynn go suggests his awareness that Flynn could face criminal exposure for his conduct and was at risk of prosecution. C. Intent. As part of our investigation, we examined whether the president had a personal stake in the outcome of an investigation into Flynn for example, whether the president was aware of Flynn's communications with Kislak close in time to when they occurred, such that the president knew that Flynn had lied to senior White House officials and that those lies had been passed into the public. Some evidence suggests that the president knew about the existence and content of Flynn's calls when they occurred, but the evidence is inconclusive and could not be relied upon to establish the president's knowledge. In advance of Flynn's initial call with Kislak, the president attended a meeting where the sanctions were discussed and an advisor may have mentioned that Flynn was scheduled to talk to Kislak.
Flynn told McFarland about the substance OFHIS calls with Kislak and said they may have made a difference in Russia's response, and Flynn recalled talking to Bannon in early January 2017 about how they had successfully stopped the train on Russia's response to the sanctions. It would have been reasonable for Flynn to have wanted the president to know OFHIS communications with Kislak because Kislak told Flynn his request had been received at the highest levels in Russia and that Russia had chosen not to retaliate in response to the request, and the president was pleased by the Russian response, calling it a great move. And the president never said publicly or internally that Flynn had lied to him about the calls with Kislak. But McFarland did not recall providing the president-elect with Flynn's readout of his calls with Kislak, and Flynn does not have a specific recollection of telling the president-elect directly about the calls. Bannon also said he did not recall hearing about the calls from Flynn. And in February 2017, the president asked Flynn what was discussed on the calls and whether he had lied to the vice president, suggesting that he did not already know. Our investigation accordingly did not produce evidence that established that the president knew about Flynn's discussions of sanctions before the Department of Justice notified the White House of those discussions in late January 2017. The evidence also does not establish that Flynn otherwise possessed information damaging to the president that would give the president a personal incentive to end the FBI's inquiry into Flynn's conduct. Evidence does establish that the president connected the Flynn investigation to the FBI's broader Russia investigation and that he believed, as he told Christie, that terminating Flynn would end the whole Russia thing. Flynn's firing occurred at a time when the media and Congress were raising questions about Russia's interference in the election and whether members of the president's campaign had colluded with Russia. Multiple witnesses recalled that the president viewed the Russia investigations as a challenge to the legitimacy of his election. The president paid careful attention to negative coverage of Flynn and reacted with annoyance and anger when the story broke disclosing that Flynn had discussed sanctions with Kislak. Just hours before meeting one-on-one -on -one with Comey, the president told Christie that firing Flynn would put an end to the Russia inquiries. And after Christie pushed back, telling the president that firing Flynn would not end the Russia investigation, the president asked Christie to reach out to Comey and convey that the president liked him and he was part of the team. That afternoon, the president cleared the room and asked Comey to let Flynn go. We also sought evidence relevant to assessing whether the president's direction to Comey was motivated by sympathy towards Flynn. In public statements the president repeatedly described Flynn as a good person who had been harmed by the Russia investigation, and the president directed advisors to reach out to Flynn to tell him the president cared about him and felt bad for him. At the same time, multiple senior advisors, including Bannon, Priebus, and Hicks, said that the president had become unhappy with Flynn well before Flynn was forced to resign and that the president was frequently irritated with Flynn. Priebus said he believed the president's initial reluctance to fire Flynn stemmed not from personal regard, but from concern about the negative press that would be generated by firing the national security advisor so early in the administration and Priebus indicated that the president's post-firing expressions of support for Flynn were motivated by the president's desire to keep Flynn from saying negative things about him. The way in which the president communicated the request to Comey also is relevant to understanding the president's intent. When the president first learned about the FBI investigation into Flynn, he told McGahn, Bannon, and Priebus not to discuss the matter with anyone else in the White House. 
The next day, the president invited Comey for a one-on-one -on -one dinner against the advice of an aide who recommended that other White House officials also attend. At the dinner, the president asked Comey for loyalty and, at a different point in the conversation, mentioned that Flynn had judgment issues. When the president met with Comey the day after Flynn's termination shortly after being told by Christie that firing Flynn would not end the Russia investigation the president cleared the room, even excluding the attorney general, so that he could again speak to Comey alone. The president's decision to meet one-on-one -on -one with Comey contravened the advice of the White House counsel that the president should not communicate directly with the Department of Justice to avoid any appearance of interfering in law enforcement activities and the president later denied that he cleared the room and asked Comey to let Flynn go a denial that would have been unnecessary if he believed his request was a proper exercise of prosecutorial discretion. Finally, the president's effort to have McFarland write an internal email denying that the president had directed Flynn to discuss sanctions with Kislak highlights the president's concern about being associated with Flynn's conduct. The evidence does not establish that the president was trying to have McFarland lie. The president's request, however, was sufficiently irregular that McFarland who did not know the full extent of Flynn's communications with the president and thus could not make the representation the president wanted felt the need to draft an internal memorandum documenting the president's request, and Eisenberg was concerned that the request would look like a quid pro quo in exchange for an ambassadorship. C. The president's reaction to public confirmation of the FBL's Russia investigation. This free audio is provided by MullerReportAudioBook.com. Overview. In early March 2017, the president learned that Sessions was considering recusing from the Russia investigation and tried to prevent the recusal. After Sessions announced his recusal on March 2, the president expressed anger at Sessions for the decision and then privately asked Sessions to unrecuse. On March 20, 2017, Comey publicly disclosed the existence of the FBI's Russia investigation. In the days that followed, the president contacted Comey and other intelligence agency leaders and asked them to push back publicly on the suggestion that the president had any connection to the Russian election interference effort in order to lift the cloud of the ongoing investigation. Evidence 1. Attorney General Sessions recuses from the Russia investigation. TN Late February 2017, the Department of Justice began an internal analysis of whether Sessions should recuse from the Russia investigation based on his role in the 2016 Trump campaign. On March I, 2017, the press reported that, in his January confirmation hearing to become Attorney General, Senator Sessions had not disclosed two meetings he had with Russian Ambassador Kislak before the presidential election, leading to congressional calls for Sessions to recuse or for a special counsel to investigate Russia's interference in the presidential election. Also on March I, the president called Comey and said he wanted to check in and see how Comey was doing. According to an email Comey sent to his chief of staff after the call, the president talked about Sessions a bit, said that he had heard Comey was doing great, and said that he hoped Comey would come by to say hello when he was at the White House. Comey interpreted the call as an effort by the president to pull him in, but he did not perceive the call as an attempt by the president to find out what Comey was doing with the Flynn investigation. The next morning, the president called McGahn and urged him to contact Sessions to tell him not to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. 
McGahn understood the president to be concerned that a recusal would make Sessions look guilty for omitting details in his confirmation hearing, leave the president unprotected from an investigation that could hobble the presidency and derail his policy objectives, and detract from favorable press coverage of a presidential address to Congress the president had delivered earlier in the week. McGahn reached out to Sessions and reported that the president was not happy about the possibility of recusal. Sessions replied that he intended to follow the rules on recusal. McGahn reported back to the president about the call with Sessions, and the president reiterated that he did not want Sessions to recuse. Throughout the day, McGahn continued trying on behalf of the president to avert Sessions's recusal by speaking to Sessions's personal counsel, Sessions's chief offstaff, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and by contacting Sessions himself two more times. Sessions recalled that other White House advisors also called him that day to argue against his recusal. That afternoon, Sessions announced his decision to recuse from any existing or future investigations of any matters related in any way to the campaigns for President of the United States. Sessions believed the decision to recuse was not a close call, given the applicable language in the Code of Federal Regulations CFR, which Sessions considered to be clear and decisive. Sessions thought that any argument that the CFR did not apply to him was very thin. Sessions got the impression, based on calls he received from White House officials, that the president was very upset with him and did not think he had done his duty as attorney general. Shortly after Sessions announced his recusal, the White House counsel's office directed that Sessions should not be contacted about the matter. Internal White House Counsel's Office notes from March 2, 2017, state no contact TW, Sessions and no comms, serious concerns about obstruction. On March 3, the day after Sessions's recusal, McGahn was called into the Oval Office. Other advisors were there, including Priebus and Bannon. The president opened the conversation by saying, I don't have a lawyer. The president expressed anger at McGahn about the recusal and brought up Roy Cohn, stating that he wished Cohn was his attorney. McGahn interpreted this comment as directed at him, suggesting that Cohn would fight for the president whereas McGahn would not. The president wanted McGahn to talk to Sessions about the recusal, but McGahn told the president that DOJ ethics officials had weighed in on Sessions's decision to recuse. The president then brought up former attorneys General Robert Kennedy and Eric Holder and said that they had protected their presidents. The president also pushed back on the DOJ contacts policy, and said words to the effect of, you're telling me that Bobby and Jack didn't talk about investigations? Or Obama didn't tell Eric Holder who to investigate? Bannon recalled that the president was as mad as Bannon had ever seen him and that he screamed at McGahn about how weak Sessions was. Bannon recalled telling the president that Sessions's recusal was not a surprise and that before the inauguration they had discussed that Sessions would have to recuse from campaign-related investigations because of his work on the Trump campaign. That weekend, Sessions and McGahn flew to Mar-a-Lago to meet with the president. Sessions recalled that the president pulled him aside to speak to him alone and suggested that Sessions should unrecuse from the Russia investigation. The president contrasted Sessions with attorneys General Holder and Kennedy, who had developed a strategy to help their presidents where Sessions had not. Sessions said he had the impression that the president feared that the investigation could spin out of control and disrupt his ability to govern, which Sessions could have helped avert IFHE were still overseeing it.
On March 5, 2017, the White House Counsel's Office was informed that the FBI was asking for transition period records relating to Flynn indicating that the FBI was still actively investigating him. On March 6, the president told advisors he wanted to call the acting attorney general to find out whether the White House or the president was being investigated, although it is not clear whether the president knew at that time of the FBI's recent request concerning Flynn. FBI Director Comey publicly confirms the existence of the Russia investigation in testimony before HPSCI. On March 9, 2017, Comey briefed the gang of eight congressional leaders about the FBI's investigation of Russian interference, including an identification of the principal U.S. subjects of the investigation. Although it is unclear whether the president knew of that briefing at the time, notes taken by Annie Donaldson, then McGahn's chief of staff, on March 12, 2017, state, POTUS in panic, chaos. Need binders to put in front of POTUS. 1. All things related to Russia. The week after Comey's briefing, the White House Counsel's Office was in contact with SSCI Chairman Senator Richard Burr about the Russia investigations and appears to have received information about the status of the FBI investigation. On March 20, 2017, Comey was scheduled to testify before HPSCI. In advance of Comey's testimony, congressional officials made clear that they wanted Comey to provide information about the ongoing FBI investigation. Dana Boente, who at that time was the acting attorney general for the Russia investigation, authorized Comey to confirm the existence of the Russia investigation and agreed that Comey should decline to comment on whether any particular individuals, including the president, were being investigated. Over a lifetime, all of us change to an extraordinary degree. From a physical perspective, we start off as a little bundle about 50 centimeters high with cherubic features and elastic soft skin. I want you to understand that and ask yourself at all times the reason you're doing or trying to do a same thing with you do. Why go this far? Why try to learn this much? In the intervening period, every single cell in our body will have been replaced often many times over. So think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry. That's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week. You will have gone through all kinds of experiences that perhaps leave almost no trace in memory. Remember, if you think you are broken, you are. And remember, there's no such thing as bad luck. Only lost opportunities. Never. Absolutely never. Show yourself. Who am I? I'm a champion same name throughout our lives and consider ourselves as a relatively stable unitary entity but is it really right to think of ourselves as the same person why try to see it all why try to have it all why do it why learn it stay, stay hungry. hungry stay English. a standard assumption is that it's our body that guarantees our personal identity if you think you are inadequate you are Let me introduce you to yourself. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. 
Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.